0: Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tolman.
1: Welcome back to Talk Dizzy to Me. I'm Dr. Danielle Tolman, a vestibular physical therapist, and as always, joined by my co-host, Dr. Abby Ross, also a vestibular physical therapist and neuroclinical specialist. And today, we are joined by one of our favorite repeat guests. We have Alicia Wolf, also known as the Dizzy Cook. Welcome, Alicia. It's great to have you back on.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me again.
1: We couldn't be more excited. I think you are our mo- one of our most frequent guests at this point. We're on our third <laughs> yes. episode, I think, which is great.
2: Which is <laughs> awesome.
1: Yeah, that's. We get exciting. a lot of um, we get a lot of questions about vestibular migraine and uh, vestibular migraine resources, and you are always my top go to. So we are oh. very excited today to have you here because we are talking food, um, food okay. triggers, tips, tricks, recipes, the whole bit. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Before we get into that, I have to say, I think when you first came on with us, you were either pregnant with George or had just recently given birth. I can't, I I'm thinking you were time. pregnant the first time. and then the I think time- I
0: was pregnant and then right after we had one postpartum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, this is coming full circle, I guess.
2: Literally full circle. So give us a quick update on your life, anything you want to share work-wise before we get into the nitty-gritty on migraine, food, diet, do's and don'ts.
0: So there's a lot going on with me. Uh, The last time we talked, I was newly postpartum. I was kind of going through postpartum anxiety and figuring out my migraine treatment plan. Uh, without with a huge lack of sleep and what that looked like. And then I got everything under control. And we had expected to do another IVF transfer next year, which would give me give me enough time to kind of let my brain relax and get everything under control. I uh, started to work on a book, a new cookbook as well. So my neurologist, Dr. Bay. Uh, who I'm sure has been on your your podcast before too. I think I've seen that. Um, he approached me about doing a cookbook together that was science-based. And so we worked on a cookbook for the last year, which should be out very soon. So I've been really busy. And in the middle of all this, we uh, had a big surprise that I'm pregnant again,
2: <laughs> naturally.
0: Woo-hoo! Yeah, so that was unexpected for me and for all my doctors. And so we're just kind of rolling with it. It's it's going well for the most part. I've been pretty sick this pregnancy. So, just trying to adjust my treatment plan. I'm I'm seeing Dr. Bay again on Friday to Kind of update him and go over some of these new symptoms I'm experiencing, but overall it, it's been good. So busy, but good. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. Have you seen a big difference in your pregnancies uh, between George and this pregnancy now and your migraines?
0: Yeah, so with George, I was, I did the IVF process. So I was taking a lot of hormones and injections that I think caused more symptoms in my first trimester uh, just with dizziness and head pain. With this pregnancy, I felt better as far as dizziness my first trimester, but now I'm starting to get more head tightness and brain fog as well as more head pain. And I'm not sure if that's because with this pregnancy, I'm also dealing with hyperinesis gravidarum, which is extreme morning sickness. And I think I've seen this happen a lot in our community. And every time I asked my physicians, I was like, is there a connection with the vestibular community and this extreme morning sickness? And they're like, oh, no, I don't know. But I have enough friends that this happens to to have support from them, which is nice. But I'm also kind of wondering if there's a vestibular connection there as well. So uh, nothing official from my physicians, but it is kind of curious. And so that's been a little bit more difficult to manage my hydration, especially because hydration is so important to migraine. Um, as well as sleep and, you know, eating a varied diet. And when you're so sick, it's really hard to manage that. So I'm finding that now, even though my symptoms are pretty well controlled, it's increased things. My threshold has just been lowered so much because of this. And so I'm trying to figure out other ways to accommodate other than my usual foods and maybe supplements. Those are hard to keep down too. So I'm just trying to reevaluate and always look for how can I tweak my treatment plan to make this work for my life right now, Um, which is something that I think everyone with migraine has to deal with while managing this since it's a chronic illness.
1: That's a really good point. Things progress and change and evolve and Um, You know, it sounds like it's, it's gotta be this constant um, process of figuring out what the new normal is and what, you know, you're able to do in that instance and figure out what works for you in that moment in time.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why having a good team is so important. You know, I, I haven't seen my physician in two years, like officially I've, I've talked to him on the phone or planning our book, but Uh, I haven't actually had an appointment with him because I've been so well controlled. And they were like, hey, because all your meds are expired, we need you to like do another appointment. So that's sort of interesting for me to have to go back to as well. But, you know, it it happens and it's good to always have that relationship to keep up with those people who have helped you because when things come up, it's so much easier to take care of.
2: Yeah, really good point. I love that sort of um, takeaway there that you want your team in place and you want to be prepared for when things change to call upon your team to help you through it. So, by the way, congratulations. I don't know if I thank you. (laughs) I know (laughs) I'm outside of the episode, but congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you, guys. Of course. Let's get into food and diet and everything surrounding what we're ingesting if we have vestibular migraine, what things to work um, look out for. So first, what are some common food triggers? Maybe not necessarily personal to you, but we can go the personal route next. What do you hear from people in your community about issues when it comes to food?
0: Yeah, so I think... Some of the most common food triggers that are talked about just with migraine diets in general, um, oftentimes you'll see aged meat and aged cheeses, and this is because of uh, an amino acid called tyramine that can build up in aged foods, Um, has been consistently reported over the years, and caffeine is another one that can help but it can also be a trigger for some people and you have to be kind of careful with it especially in large amounts. Chocolate seems to be a common one that can be either beneficial for some people or it can be a trigger for some people. Uh, Some of the ones that aren't talked about as much but I see pretty commonly are actually bananas so especially ripe bananas tend to one that I see pretty often in my community. Um, I'm not sure if this is because it's a trigger for myself as well, but a lot of nuts I I hear quite a bit from other people. And that's kind of one of those surprising ones. And then citrus fruits tend to be here or there. I don't see them super commonly, but they do come up. Um, Another one that's pretty common is MSG. So I know that MSG can be kind of controversial. Um, I think Whole30 decided that they weren't going to eliminate it anymore, but for people with migraines specifically, it seems to be an issue uh, with causing more symptoms.
2: Was it you that also said avocado or did I dream that?
0: Yeah, avocado is one as well. When I first, did a migraine elimination diet. I I love guacamole. Oh my gosh, just a Texan. I have to have my guacamole and it was one of those things that I reintroduced and it was causing me a low level of dizziness, but as my symptoms progressed and and I got a little bit better, it was something I can tolerate very well now. So again, it's like it, the ripe bananas, it seems to be, you know, we all eat our avocados when they're super soft. So It seems to be one of those things that as you know, the brightness increases, so does the tyramine. And that can kind of be a trigger here or there for people. Um, Another one that I forgot to mention is protein powders. So that's one that I see a lot too. And also one that was difficult for me to navigate. Uh, I had to try a few different types to really figure out what worked for me. And it's one that I see pretty commonly within the community as well.
1: Another one that was um, interesting to me that I've actually only looked into once I had heard this from my mom. She was saying that um, certain uh, drinks that have artificial sweeteners tend yeah. to tighten. Artificial fur.
0: sweeteners.
1: Yeah, it's like so you think yeah. you're good by doing a, 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 an alternative type of a sweetener in your drink, but it seems to that could be a, a trigger as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it feels like so many foods that could be a trigger for people and really it can. I mean, I've heard, you know, sometimes the migraine elimination diet has you avoid freshly baked bread because yeast, um, they like, they say that after 24 hours, it's better tolerated. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, who would that be a trigger for? But I get messages about it all the time. So it's definitely worth testing. Obviously these aren't going to be everyone's food triggers. It's just, that's kind of why doing an elimination or doctors can encourage an elimination just to see if any of these things affect you, because if they do eliminating them can make a big change in your symptoms too. hmm
1: And, you know, it should be noted that, you know, we're talking about food triggers today, but there are a lot of other things out there and that might trigger people. Um, And there are some migraine uh, patients that don't get triggered by food at all. And it's, you know, different, you know, there's other things that contribute like sleep or stress and, um, you know, other triggers. But today we're, we're covering foods and it's just it's very interesting to see how different every single migraine patient is from each other if they do have food triggers. I had one person where we eliminated the wine, we eliminated cheese, we eliminated the age, <laughs> I mean, everything. And we got to the point where he's like, there's nothing left to eliminate. And I'm still dizzy. So I said, walk me through your day. And towards the end, we figured out he has avocado toast every morning. And it was just the avocados on his toast that was setting him off. It was mind-blowing. Um, but yeah, everybody's different. <laughs> Sometimes
0: it's that simple. Like I, I, I had that eureka moment actually with, uh, collagen protein powder because I'm still getting a low level of dizziness in the morning. I was like, what could this be? Like, I'm not doing caffeine. I'm not doing, and it, it was that. And sometimes just making those little changes I've seen, I've seen people take the lemons out of their water and that made a huge difference for them. So sometimes it's these little tweaks that you have to kind of figure out for yourself that can, that can make a huge difference.
2: Yeah. Trial and error, trial and yeah.
0: error. Yeah,
2: um, a question that I get often which I want your take from your own experience is should I eliminate one thing at a time or should I eliminate everything that's recommended against and then add in one thing at a time to test it? What what route do you choose to go? Or did so you
0: So I I Personally, feel like you have to eliminate everything at once. I feel like it makes everything a much shorter process for you. And you know, the idea behind uh, both Johns Hopkins and the Heal Your Headache Diet, uh, which are probably the most common migraine elimination diets, are that you eliminate everything at once. You focus on your treatment plan, whether that's you know vestibular therapy, that's medications, supplements, and you eliminate all these foods at the same time to kind of get your brain to calm down overall and just start to increase your migraine threshold. So um, your migraine threshold would be your tolerance before you get an attack. So combining things like The sleep schedule and hydration and all these different things can really increase your migraine threshold and hopefully help you make you more resilient to other things. So by doing and eliminating potential food triggers all at the same time, you're hopefully giving your brain a chance to calm down. I think when you eliminate one thing at a time, it gets really hard to decide what that what could be causing your symptoms. Um, Just because it you might have other things going on. So like, let's say you eliminate chocolate, and you're still dizzy every day. And you're like, Oh, it's probably the chocolate, but really, it could be the avocado toast that you're eating, but you would never realize that because you're just eliminating chocolate right now. So that's where it can kind of get to be difficult to do one thing at a time. I've seen some people have success with it. And especially, you know, if you have a tendency to be overly restrictive with food, it can, it can be maybe more helpful. But in that case, I would recommend just not doing an elimination diet and working with a dietitian specifically. Oh, Danielle, you're muted.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, we can hear you. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: um, in your experience, or with your experience with the migraine community, can food triggers shift or evolve? Can you have one thing that used to trigger you no longer trigger you, or new things pop up? How does that kind of uh, present?
0: So generally, what I see and what my experience has been is that as your migraine threshold gets raised and it consistently stays raised, you become less sensitive to some things that may have triggered you before. So I think I said this earlier, like avocado used to be a really low level trigger for me. And then as I became more resilient to things and really had my medications and supplements and everything start to work together, my brain calmed down a lot. Uh, I was able to bring that back in, and so it's definitely worth retesting trigger foods that maybe used to cause you really bad symptoms over the course of time as you start to feel better and consistently stay feel better because stay feeling better because. Those types of things, it can definitely shift and change as your threshold gets raised. There are some that just are consistently triggers. Like for me, they're caffeine, yogurt, um, certain nuts. I, I just can't do. I've been able to reintroduce a few nuts, which is really exciting for me. But other ones like walnuts, I just can't do at all. So It's one of those things I like to test every so often just to make sure that I'm not consistently keeping foods out of my diet that I could be eating.
2: That makes sense. Now, you are the queen of food and (laughs) fortunately also the queen of migraine. (laughs) Think of this talk, it's a perfect combination. What are your go to recipes or favorites that you would recommend to our audience that are migraine friendly?
0: Yeah, so I'll just go with some of my most popular ones that I see people make most often. I would say my number one recipe for people is the Borson pasta. It's a really rich pasta, but it's super easy to make. And it kind of is a great replacement for fettuccine Alfredo, which is what I was going for when I created it. So I wanted like a fettuccine that was so creamy and hearty, but it didn't have that aged cheese to it. So that's kind of where my inspiration came from it. And people seem to really love it, even people without migraine. It's definitely one of those you want to like say for special occasions. I do have a a way to lighten it up. So if you read through some of my recipe posts, it can give you tips on how to edit things. Uh, So that's kind of a tidbit I'd recommend for people. But that's a super popular one. And people like to mix it up, adding chicken to it or just leaving it vegetarian, adding extra vegetables. Uh, So that one, I highly recommend at least trying it once, especially going into the fall or winter season. Uh, A a little lighter version are my chicken zucchini poppers, which are still good for around this time of year. The zucchini is still decent. Uh, That one is a low carb recipe, but people really love the dipping sauce with it. It's like a creamy cilantro sauce. And that one is great, especially if you have a lot of people in your family who are are dairy free or gluten free, that that can kind of be a great recipe for that.
2: Another one that my
0: readers really like is the apricot slow cooker chicken. So that one is also on my website and it is is kind of one of those dump and go recipes. So it tastes kind of like a sesame chicken, but all you have to do is throw everything in a crock pot. So if you're a really bad cook, or if you have lots of kids and <laughs> you're trying to get everyone out for school, like that's the perfect recipe to make for week weeknights. Um, as far as in my cookbook, people really love my enchiladas and those are a little more involved and um, they do, have you making your own enchilada sauce, but you can actually make it in five minutes, which I don't think people realize, like enchilada sauce is really easy to make with a lot of stuff you have on hand. So I kind of teach you how to do that in my cookbook and you can stuff it with anything. Enchiladas, you can fill with vegetables and just do all vegetarian. You can do it with the ground turkey, ground beef, whatever your preference is. And so I really love how versatile those are they're very popular too. So those are just a few that I would recommend. Um, A lot of them can be frozen, like a lot of the soups on my website uh, are really great to freeze. I have a recipe for lazy lasagna that's really great frozen. Uh, I use that one a lot postpartum. And then I do have a recipe in my cookbook for mini meatloaves, and those are great to freeze as well. So, just kind of going through some of the things that I prepped <laughs> for after I had George that were life saving. And they're so easy when you're going through a lot of migraine attacks you know, you want something quick or you're used to having frozen meals. If you can prep these things ahead, it's just like having frozen meals, but you'll feel a lot better after eating them.
1: I'm getting hungry now. um, (laughs) (laughs) Because we'll we'll definitely include links in our show notes to the recipes that you have on your website, and then also links to your cookbook because I own it. I love it. I cook from it. The enchiladas are excellent. Thank Um, you. (laughs) I mean, but one thing that you know I actually have in common with you now is like I have a baby, and I've noticed that my cooking habits have changed because (laughs) time is of the essence at this point. Um, Have you found that your um, approach to meal prep or cooking has changed since having George? Yes.
0: (laughs) So I always used to be like, oh, my recipes are so easy. And now I realize how complicated that is with a toddler who's like trying to jump off things constantly (laughs) or (laughs) plug your, plug your blender into holes that it should not be plugged. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been an interesting adjustment. I would say that I used to really love to do a main course and a side dish and have all the things and now I just try to focus on one main thing so some recipes that are really good actually in the new cookbook I do this well I have a lot of like casserole bakes that Mm -hmm. that are pretty healthy but some of the things that work really well for me are kind of one pan dishes that include everything you need all in that that one dish or I've resorted a lot to focusing on the main meal whether that's air fryer salmon or some kind of salmon bowl and then I'll do frozen Trader Joe's rice that I can just microwave uh, along with like um, pre-made the coleslaw and I'll just toss that with a little bit of vinegar and that way you have the side dishes, but the side dishes are easy. Even like frozen french fries, you know, as long as you're making your main course, like whether it's grilled chicken or whatever, you can kind of use the frozen um, sides to support you in that. (laughs) So that's really how I've been cutting down my effort in the kitchen is relying on some migraine friendly side dishes that you can just microwave or keep in the freezer. And that kind of fills out the full meal.
1: That's really good advice. I will definitely yeah. have to start taking that to heart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those frozen Trader Joe's rice packets are like life-saving.
2: <laughs> I've never tried those, but I am a big fan of Trader Joe's so shout out to them. We're giving them some free marketing free. on talk with you today. With that, this kind of leads us into another question. If I have vestibular migraine and I'm out shopping for some sides in the frozen aisle of Trader Joe's, what am I looking for in the ingredients? What should stand out to me like mm, this might not be the best option?
0: Yeah, so uh, the biggest thing that I tell people, even if they don't want to do a full elimination, is probably looking for the hidden MSG list because I do find that tends to affect most of us. And so cutting down on that is just good in general, um, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you have to understand all the ingredients in your label. And that's, I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm sure I've said it at some point, but I don't necessarily agree with that because I find that sometimes in labels, they'll list out vitamins. And a lot of people don't understand the names for vitamins when they're written out like that. And so they'll be like, oh, I can't pronounce this. I don't know what You know, thiamine, mononitride, or whatever is. And it's really just something you would get in natural food anyway. So they avoid it, which is not great. Like that, you know, you're avoiding something that you can definitely eat and that is just full of vitamins. So it's good to kind of learn what that hidden MSG list is. And I do have it on my website. Um, as well as in my cookbook. So I just kind of take a screenshot of that and take it with me when I grocery shop and look through the ingredients and just check them for that. In uh, that way you're kind of avoiding anything that could be problematic when you're grocery shopping, especially for those frozen items, because you'd be surprised how often they put in yeast extract or sometimes natural flavor in savory dishes can, can be the same Um, can be MSG. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is. And especially in savory foods, it it tends to be an issue. So that's kind of the main thing that I would look for when reading labels and not just go by, oh, if I don't understand it, I have to eliminate this too.
1: That comes with a lot of um, kind of uh, self-education, right? Like this is something that has taken you years and years to kind of really understand and build up. Is there a good place for somebody to start? Like if you if somebody came to you and said, I just got diagnosed with this, I think food's an issue, where do I go to figure out how to start this process of, of figuring things out? Do you have a go-to starting point?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I have all of this information on my website. So I have a post called, What is the Heal Your Headache Diet? And it kind of breaks down an elimination diet and what you should avoid. But I also have another post called Foods Allowed and I like for people to really, really look at that because once you read the elimination foods, you're like, oh my gosh, what can I eat? But then you go to the Foods Allowed list and you can, there's like so many options and I didn't even fit, I couldn't even fit them all on two pages. So I think it makes you feel like, okay, like I can actually do this and I have a lot of options available to me. Um, You know, if screens are really hard for you, or you want everything in one place and don't want to have to click around, I just highly recommend my first cookbook, which is The Dizzy Cook. And that kind of puts everything in one place. It has all the lists for foods allowed. It has your list of like foods to eliminate. And it has this hidden MSG list all in the same place. So it can be kind of easier to navigate sometimes than going to the website. But it's both places.
2: <laughs> One stop shop, though, all the resources you need regarding diet and migraine, go to the Dizzy Cook. Yes. Her, <laughs> website, her Instagram, her cookbook, her DMs, whatever it is, yeah. all of her information in the show notes, of course. I have another question for you in terms of full recipes. So we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about savory foods and how certain ingredients might be more common in savory foods than non savory foods. But what about full blown recipes that you need to look out for or stay away from or look for a modification of?
0: Yeah, I would say if you're just if you're really symptomatic, and you're in a chronic state, I would recommend just cooking off of my website, because it will really, or on my cookbook, because it it prevents you from having to really think about things, which I know that sounds crazy, but just having to think through different recipes online. Like one of the most frustrating things for me when I was chronic and trying to do this diet was going to like some of my favorite food blogs, like Smitten Kitchen. And I'd be like, Oh, I can't have that. Oh, I can't have that. Oh, I can't. And then you get into this cycle of, Oh my gosh, I can't eat anything. This diet is so stupid. Like I feel so restricted. And it really affects your mindset. So that's why I would recommend if you're just new to this and you're just feeling like so overwhelmed, just stay on my website, stay in my cookbook. If you need personal help beyond that, I offer private consultations. so I can help you with recipes that will fit to what you need and give you links to everything um, and help you with edits with some of your favorite recipes. But it's really hard to do that for everyone out there. So uh, that's kind of where I would start. As you go forward and really get into this diet, it becomes easier to make edits and learn like what substitutions work for certain things. So that's when you can kind of branch out to some of your favorite recipes once you get the hang of it and really can almost go to any food blog or any cookbook and edit it enough to make changes. There are some that, you would just change the essence of the recipe too much. Uh, like really simple things uh, like, you know, fettuccine Alfredo, it'd be really, really hard to recreate that without the Parmesan. So that's kind of why I went with the and pasta. Uh, there are just certain items that you kind of need those essential ingredients for. So that's where I would look like for a substitute when it comes to that. It's not it's it's this whole process is just really about shifting your focus and maybe finding you know something that you loved before but how can i substitute that so i see that happen a lot with peanut butter and i don't find peanut butter to actually be a very common trigger but since it is part of the elimination diet i find that a lot of people end up loving sunflower seed butter or pumpkin seed butter personally for me i've been able to reintroduce peanut butter but i still love The flavor of sunflower seed butter so much more. So I'll use that in a lot of my peanut noodles instead. And, you know, it gives you that same craving, like it hits that same craving uh, the same, but you may be helping your, your heads overall.
1: There's so much to this, I love hearing you talk and, and how natural it is for you just to kind of like substitute things in and out and talk about different recipes because there is so much to this that anybody that's just trying this for the first time might feel overwhelmed but I will say like your website your blogs your articles your cookbook do a fantastic job of breaking everything down and definitely making people feel better. As a clinician, I recommend all of my patients to start there, especially if they're newly diagnosed, to start with the DizzyCook.com. And this is this is my personal, you know, experience with doing <laughs> your your stuff. You know, this is not an advertisement. Um, <laughs> that I especially see with my patients when they feel overwhelmed. Um, You are a one-stop shop with all of this amazing information. And just to hear you talk so easily about all this, you know, definitely solidifies the fact that you are the knowledge base in all of this, which is amazing.
0: I feel like you can hear my excitement come through like I love helping people adjust their recipes to what they crave. I love it when people come to me and they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't miss this chili. I used to make this chili all the time but like your recipe is like so much better. Or I love the porcelain pasta so much more than I ever thought I would and And it's just really fun to see that happen. I do get some people who really miss certain things like avocado, especially there's not really a good stuff for that. So that's, that's usually something like the avocado and the citrus and those kind of things that you really miss that type of flavor. I think those are good things to start with when you start reintroducing because it's hard to get those same flavors out of other things, but it is possible like, for hum, for different hummus recipes if you do end up being sensitive to lemon you know there's a lot you can do there as far as like either distilled white vinegar or a lot of spices like sumac it's a great one that has that kind of tangy flavor to it and it makes a great sub in hummus but you wouldn't put sumac in i don't know your water or sometimes in pasta it w- w- wouldn't go as well for a lemon substitute so There are these little nuances in cooking and recipe development that make it a little bit tricky for people, but I'm really happy to help if if people have those issues.
2: Where can they sign up for a one-on-one consult with you? Is that right on your website?
0: Yeah. So I actually have a separate website for it. It's called the dizzycookshop.com. And so sometimes people just want to talk to another patient about vestibular migraine and get recommendations either for you know, people like you guys for vestibular therapists or for, you know, neurologists near them, or they just want to kind of go over their plan and, and have someone who has been through it before, or I get people who just, they can't have certain things on the diet and they're gluten free. And so they're like, how do I navigate this gluten free and what, what products are available to me? And so that's where I can kind of help and say, oh, these are great substitutes. These are recipes that you can easily make gluten-free. Here are ones that are already gluten-free. So that's kind of how I work with people there. I can't give medical advice, but I can kind of direct you to the people who can. So that's that's kind of where my consults are. And then I also help with people who are learning how to cook. So I think a big reason why people struggle with migraine diets is your doctor hands you this sheet of paper and they're like, oh, just figure it out. And you may have never been in your kitchen before you're used to going out to eat or you're used to picking up frozen meals and you've never had to use a certain pan before. You don't know what a cast iron pan is. You don't know what an air fryer is. And so that's where I can help people, too, with learning how to make certain recipes. So I've had people take private cooking classes and they wanted to learn how to make lobster. And I've had people take private cooking classes and they wanted to learn how to make a pot, like how to boil pasta, you know. Yeah. So that's it's it's kind of a range. And I also do have uh, group cooking classes as well. I haven't posted them Yeah, but they when this comes out, we should have a few on the website, especially gearing up for the holiday season too.
1: That's so exciting. What about those people that do miss eating out? Do you have any um, uh, simple tips or tricks that you can recommend to them so they can enjoy an evening out? You know, every now and again.
0: Yeah. So if you just go to my website and search eating out, or if you Google just Zee Cook eating out tips. the the I have a post that kind of gives a breakdown of a lot of fast food restaurants but then also to what to order out if you're at local places so it's really hard for if you have some local places like I wouldn't know the ingredients that they're using so you kind of have to work with your waiter so I give you some tips on how to navigate that and what tends to be more on the oh this is potentially less triggering and this could be a good fit for for your meals when eating out versus you know don't order the the recipe with all the sauces and all the things that have a lot of you you it's harder to figure out what's exactly in them. So that post is on the website. And I also give a few tips in my cookbook too, but I would say that post on the website can be really helpful and has places like Chipotle is a great place that is very, very clear on their ingredients. So that's one that I like to recommend a lot to people. Burgers are also really great place to start because most of the time, most of the time, People aren't filling them with a lot of things. So (laughs) uh, you can get a plain burger on a bun and you can get uh, you can sometimes people bring their own sauces from home or whatever to jazz it up. But generally, I find that those are pretty well tolerated when you're going out to eat, too.
2: Alicia, you're such an awesome resource for this community and beyond because I don't necessarily suffer from migraines, but hearing some of your tips and tricks and following some of your recipes, amazing. So thank you so much for joining us again on the show. Audience, check out and look out for her cookbook, her new cookbook, her new classes coming up by the time this airs. Both of those (laughs) should be available for purchase. And we'll share anything else that could be valuable to our listeners in the show notes, like I mentioned before. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And we look forward to next time.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to be here. And I hope to be back next year. (laughs) I think you can count on that. We greatly
1: value your time (laughs) and your expertise.
2: So thank you again. Thank you, guys. Thank you, listeners. Bye-bye.
1: If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos, blogs, continuing education classes, and resources including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BB treatment
2: charts. Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.